Welcome to the Go Big Redcast with Dave, Honky, Mac, and Boomer. Welcome to the Go Big Redcast. I'm your host, David Gaspers, and I'm with Mac. What's up, Redcasters? I'm happy to report that I'm back in the homeland. This is my first podcast when I'm officially moved back to Nebraska. What you heard? We're going to miss you, Mac, but uh, it's all good. Nebraska needs you. And I'm also with Honky. Uh, we're proud to announce that UCF can officially put on the Redcast National Champs on their Peach Bowl rings. And uh, speaking of winning Peach Bowl championships and trophies, uh, let's segue over to the Heroes Trophy with Iowa and welcome to the stage Iowa Sean uh, for his first ever Redcast. Welcome, Iowa Sean. Hey, appreciate it, guys. Thanks for having me on. I'm pretty excited to be joining the crew. Iowa Sean is my next-door neighbor here in Denver and uh, has been a Redcast listener. And uh, he shares his nuggets of wisdom on Hawkeye football. We thought we'd bring him on since, uh, you know, there's been some Nebraska-Iowa talk lately. Uh, Honk, well, no, do we have a Twitter poll on that or, or whatnot? Uh, yes, we do, Dave. Uh, yeah, yes, go figure. One of the Twitter... Yeah, well, one of the Twitter polls from the last uh, week or two since we've been off for a little while. Um, after two, the two-year hiatus of 2020-21, to 21, Nebraska and Iowa are scheduled to once again play on Black Friday in 2022. So that said, which Big 12 West team would you prefer that NU play annually to close out each season? And I will say with by far our closest ever uh, Twitter poll for the Redcast, with over 600 votes, uh, Iowa – just nudged out Wisconsin 51 to 49 percent so uh you know I guess I'm going to kind of throw this over to Iowa Sean here but how does that make you feel you know is that is that is that what you like to see you, you love the Nebraska Iowa Black Friday do you miss the Minnesota Iowa end of the game end of the year you know that's Floyd a good Rose first what, question what is how did Iowa close uh the regular season off before Nebraska joined the Big Ten it, it was Minnesota so we had the uh the um, the pig bowl or whatever the Floyd of Rosedale. Thank you. Yeah, that's, that's right. embarrassing that I threw that's that right. out there. It's a brass thing. It super looks... heavy, hundred right. pounds. But I'm gonna stick with a super selfish answer. Um, Wisconsin's another developmental program. Now that Scott Frost is there, I don't want to see Nebraska on national television spanking us with that spread offense when we're going to run a 4-3 base defense and just let your slots and running backs go to town on us. <laughs> so I, I would much rather be in the limelight with another developmental program, but um, Scott Frost, he put the West on on black, on notice with his recruiting class in that short of time, and so I don't want to see you guys on Black Friday no more. I, I we, we got a couple games in you guys, but uh, yeah, I think it's different now. That's interesting. So we played Iowa seven years now. Is yeah. that right, Honk? And we're now, yes. we're three. And we're now four losing now. the series four to three. Yeah, Is that yeah right? we're down three. Yeah, down three four to them. And I, right. you know, I was thinking about it. First off, I think Redcast fans would they love you now, Iowa Sean, because they love to hear yeah, that kind yeah. of uh, good way to warm us up. Reverence for us. But I, I'm actually I'll play the contrarian for a second. And if you go back to Oregon and Frost and and back in those days, one of the teams that Oregon had the most struggles with in the Pac-12 was Stanford. Mm-hmm. You know, with Harbaugh and a more traditional uh, pro style attack, basically what you would think of Michigan right now, Wisconsin, Grinded Wisconsin out. yes, Iowa. So Very when physical. you see that, I mean, does that 
does that kind of give you that hope there? Or what, what do you, what are you most worried about? What do you think Iowa can do best against us moving forward? So when we typically see a spread, it's kind of feast or famine. Like when we, uh, Denard Robinson, uh, Michigan, those years, like we were three to one against him. Um, but with that being said too, we also get lit up. Like it only takes, it, it's really only good as our linebackers. If our linebackers can guard in space and cover ground sideline to sideline, we typically do pretty well. But, um, I just think that, uh, Kirk Friends, he's not as adaptable in his defense. And toward Jim Harbaugh, he tends to know, like, he can ebb and flow of the game and kind of know how to change things. Where Kirk Friends, he's not a big Saturday coacher. Like, he gets out coached most Saturdays. I love him to death. He's given us a lot of top 10 finishes, but he just he gets out coached most Saturdays. So I'm a little bit nervous. It's the strategy part of it yeah, that you're concerned yeah, that yeah, maybe. Yeah, like halftime adjustments. Right. Um, we're going to feast or fame, and we know what we're going to do, and we're going to make you beat us. And, honestly our 4-3 defense like we don't know how to put in a nickel back and like scott frost is going to spread us out and it could be dangerous like no, that's it, a good... it, it's going to be tough to watch yeah mac maybe you could jump in on this like from a nebraska frost offense standpoint that's a really good point in the sense that i mean even this first year i think a strength and we'll talk about this a little bit in maybe a next segment but the strength of nebraska's offensive personnel is the wide receiver core and so we could explore it some matchup issues with some of these Big Ten teams right off the bat. Yeah, you'd like to think so. And I, and I do believe our skill position guys could stress out a lot of teams, a lot of defenses in the Big Ten. My concern, my overall concern, is our offensive line going to be able to give, our t- give us time to do that kind of stuff. You know, the biggest way to defeat a spread is through penetration. And my biggest fear right now is our offensive line play and seeing how those guys rise to it. Because otherwise, I think our position – our skill position players are of enough caliber that I think we can move the ball. So, we, you know, and with Iowa's strength being their offensive line and, and Wisconsin's strength being their offensive line or defensive line or vice versa, those are those are my big concerns going forward. So eventually, as our line gets stronger, I do think that might be something where we could really spread out a team like Iowa who stays in that 3-4 and we can really utilize our small, fast guys in space because they do have a lot of those kind of uh, – deceptive speed linebackers you know <laughs> but yeah, um, jewel yeah right. right yeah he was a, exactly yeah but you know in terms of, of that that spot though me personally and i don't know if it's selfish reasons or not i like iowa in that spot just because it's a short week it's a holiday weekend i think for fans traveling either way you can make that trip happen and still have thanksgiving with your family if it's wisconsin yeah. you know that will kill the traveling fan base i think a lot you know, it's easy. You can have your Thanksgiving and then go down Lincoln on Friday and watch the game. No, so, or even, That's even, a really you good know, point. Like, to go into Iowa is it not is that It is fan-friendly. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. kind of nice to have that for our, our smaller fan base. It brings a little attention to the middle of the, the country. I kind of like it. Well, the reason I, I'm a Wisconsin guy on this one, and the reason why I am, and, and it's kind of – it's harder to say when you have an Iowa guy on the other side of the line. Fans. That's no, what I'm talking about. Well, well, ideally – when you think of what's good for the Big Ten, Nebraska and Wisconsin right now, I think if Nebraska's at its best and Wisconsin's at its best, those are the two best of the West. These are two teams that have built a pretty national reputation, more so than Iowa has. If those two are playing on Friday, and then you parlay that the next day with the Michigan-Ohio State game, you have two big national games that could get a lot of notoriety. With really, year in and year out, when if Frost is doing what we expect Frost to do, year in and year out, 
three to four times out of five years, we would think that Nebraska and Wisconsin are going to decide the West. That's where I see that value. The only thing with Iowa and Nebraska being rivals from a, from a, a border standpoint is that sometimes that feels forced. Now, I'm actually – I would have said that seven years ago. It feels forced to me, and that's coming straight out of the Big 12 where we had to be a rival with Missouri the second they beat us a couple times, or we had to be a rival with Colorado when they beat us, or when K-State did, and none of those were ever rivals really with us. They really weren't. Iowa, to their credit, I actually feel Iowa has become more of a rival with us than I wanted to give them credit for. I really didn't. And Dave, you remember that from the beginning. I, oh, absolutely. You know, Boomer actually isn't on the show tonight. Boomer's in Des Moines, of all things, doing uh, doing some work. Um but Des Moines or Des Moines? Let's ask the island. Oh. It, it's the S Missouri? is silent. It's a Des Moines. Okay, just wanted to make sure. <laughs> It'll be a cold day in hell before I recognize Missouri. <laughs> uh, but, but uh, I mean, to, to Iowa's credit, I mean, they've obviously they've had success over the last six or seven years while we've been in the Big Ten. They've definitely had success against us. And this is the thing that really gets under Husker fans' skin and has to stop immediately with Frost is when Noah Fant catches those touchdowns yeah. against us. Oh, and yeah. you know, and yeah. when Drew Ott was catching an interception and running it back against you know yeah. Tommy Armstrong. That's the kind of stuff that's like you, we can't see that anymore. Kids from Howells playing for Iowa. Oh, my gosh. French has made a living coming into our backyard and taking kids out. And so – That's got to stop. And, you know, I, I'm going to segue a little bit into our other Twitter – poll or series of polls we had over three thousand votes on this dave was uh we did we broke down the the husker schedule by game so we did 12 different polls just right. you know in you akron all the way through iowa and what's funny is if you ask nebraska fans just in general what do you think nebraska is going to do next year most of them are pretty reasonable by saying oh six and six to eight and four somewhere kind of in that range but when you actually break it down and say okay well then how do you think we'll do game by game all of a sudden, that starts to elevate to nine and three, and really darn near ten and two. Um, what the what are the three Mich- games that, that we'd, we'd lose in this poll? Well, we have uh, the Husker fans right now have us losing to Michigan, Wisconsin, and Ohio State. Redcast fans do, and the Michigan Nebraska games fifty three to forty seven percent. So Woo. that's pretty darn close. They have us beating Michigan State forty nine to or fifty nine to forty one percent. Minnesota is going to get some revenge from Nebraska ninety three to seven percent. And this is the wow. one here, and, and I get it, Husker fans, that, that we, want to, we think we're going to beat Iowa. And I think we're going to be playing darn good by, by week 12. But Redcasters right now uh, have us at 83% to, to Iowa 17. And that wow. seems like a pretty large difference considering this is at Iowa. Hey, Sean, what was the score last year? Um, it worked out well for Iowa. <laughs> I don't know if we need to get into the details of the score. You're such but, a gentleman. Uh, um, it felt good. Like, I'll be honest, because you guys are a, a national program, and, uh, like, honestly, the Big Ten West, Iowa does better. The f- Every three or four years we put together a good season. Nebraska's got to be strong, and Wisconsin's got to be strong. we got to beat our those guys that are ahead of us to make us look better in the national light. Because if, if you guys are down, mm-hmm. our – Every the, once in a while, whole Big Ten West yeah, needs a, a to ten rise and two year, eleven point. and one year, and if you guys are down, then it doesn't mean as much. So we want you guys top notch, top twenty program. You want Wisconsin top twenty, and so that way when we show up in the Big Ten championship, it means something. It's like oh, they just it was a lack of schedule. Yeah, it's legitimate. That's a good point. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah, this is no different. The Big Ten West is no different than the Big Twelve North was. It was constantly trying to get credibility against the Big Brother division on the other side. And so For the sure. West, you know, the West is terrible. We're, we're awful. That's what everyone says. 
And yet, you know, you go to Iowa last year, and we just talked about how the spread and how are you guys going to defend us, and we might be able to beat you with some speed. But I think you guys did okay against Ohio State. I think your your back seven did okay getting, what, four or five interceptions against Iowa. And that was a big win for the Big Ten West. Mm -hmm. Us as Husker fans just didn't give two hoots about it because we were so down in that season. I mean, we didn't care what was going on in the Big Ten anymore. We were – we were, you know, just solely focused on what we were going to be doing in the off season, getting rid of the, the staff and everything. But, but Iowa really carried the torch there, and then Wisconsin's done a damn good job too. Yeah, they've come over. Um, Nebraska needs to be Nebraska, and we think we're going to get there. But, but that's a big win for Iowa, and that's well, a big I'll, win I'll, I'll for the West. Back to the to the Black Friday conversation just a little bit, and, and the Big Ten West in general with the scheduling. And I think Tom Chattel mentioned this in one of his articles is. Uh, you know, Nebraska could be closing with I.O., but then opening or have an early game with a, a Big Ten rival like Wisconsin. You know, I think uh, whether it's Nebraska and I.O. that's closing or, or not, let, let, let's just say that's the case, right? We know we're, Black Friday's coming back and we're going to play Iowa on, on, on Friday starting in 2021 or whatever that is. You know, Wisconsin versus Minnesota should also be a big game that weekend, right? If P.J. Fleck does his job and actually at least... Minnesota should be an eight or nine win program, right? They don't, uh, you know. So Wisconsin Minnesota could be a, a top twenty five matchup. That's not impossible to imagine. And an Iowa Nebraska could be a top twenty five, you know, in the same year, right? I mean, that's the type of Big Ten West you want to see. Minnesota is right? interesting that way. We've talked about it in previous shows. They obviously, from a historical standpoint, you have to go further back than Nebraska historically. But you go historically with Minnesota, and they were a top five program for the first, you know darn near century of the of college football on top of that they have resources they just built yeah. a brand new stadium they could definitely be a one a nine win team when they had jerry kill coaching there they definitely were a nine win team at times with uh, glenn mason and they can get an identity they can definitely be a, a physical running attack and everything um so there's a lot of things about about minnesota that they can be a clear number four more so in my opinion than northwestern northwestern oh, yeah. to me is Consistent, yeah. Yeah, Northwestern, I give them credit for being, for elevating themselves to where they've elevated over the last It's a, 10, it's a pretty sweet years. practice facility on the lake, I though, right? Oh, geez, yeah. With the academic side of things, though, it's going to be hard for them to consistently, you know, be that well, fourth. I'll ask Sean, who's, who's obviously from Iowa and been following the Big Ten for way longer than us. Uh, I mean, what do you think about some other Big Ten West schools like so, Northwestern? So I think from an Iowa standpoint, Kirk Ferentz, he's done great, but he's on he's he's over 60. Like he's not got too many, too, too many years left. And P.J. Fleck, he's kind of got a pitch. He's got that <laughs> tenacity. Like he's, he's already upset Iowa coaches by coming in recruiting and uh, just – undermining but but he's he's got something going on and i think the west has got a lot of young coaches i don't know how long Purdue's coach is going to be there but um yeah Fitz, yeah and fitzgerald he he's does what he does in northwestern i think there's a lot of good up-and-coming young coaches and uh as an iowa fan i just hope friends can adapt because it's not going to be that same old you know Double is it Ferenc or is it Ferenc Jr.? I was gonna say oh, Ferenc might be might <laughs> and, be sixty, but Brian's not. Is that yes, is that the guy? Well, so I wish I knew. I don't think his dad has let him out of the bag. Is from an offensive coordinator standpoint, like there's a lot of talk in Iowa circles that there's certain games that open up, and we think like, oh, is that the true Brian? Because he was a co-offensive coordinator the year before that, before they got rid of uh, uh, Greg Davis, and he was mm-hmm. he tried to bring a spread to Iowa. He's just a you know, we're running 
I'm going to go off on a tangent. We're running freaking receiver screens to a walk-on <laughs> who's 5'6", 160 pounds and can't make anybody miss in the open field, you know? So at least I think Brian Frentz, I think against Ohio State game, like, they open up. They, we use our tight ends, our talented positions. We just streaked them down the field. And then we go up the very next week. We show up at Wisconsin. All of a sudden, we're running Akram Wadley in between the tackles, and he weighs a buck eighty-five, soaking wet. And it's like, dude, get that guy open in space. He's a super talent. Like, he can make guys miss, but he's not going to run into an eight-man box. Monkey loved Akram Wadley last yeah, year. Yeah, I, I love I him. I, I have a buddy and a former coworker, Kirk, who listens to the show, too, and he's a big Iowa fan. And I've heard almost word for word. You guys must be friends because I've heard <laughs> word for word the exact same thing when it came to Greg Davis and everything. I will say this for a future Iowa coach, and I'm not just you know not just saying this because he was a former Husker guy, but there's this guy down in o- Oklahoma, and he's a, a, a defensive analyst right now, but a former Hawkeye, Bob Diaco. <laughs> and I just I think yeah. that the guy don't sleep on him. Yeah, this he's is a guy. Me. He could stress. Is it stress or strain? Strain. He could strain. strain. Uh, Frost's offense. I, I, I'm convinced of it. I'm, I'm a big Diaco guy, and, and you guys should probably get him. Oh, and he's well dressed, so that's important. Bob, so, I, so I'm not willing. Unfortunately, our AD has given out the most lucrative one-sided contracts ever. So, I'm under the impression that he's just setting himself up because he's good through like 2027. That he might say, "Hey, I'm going to back away from this contract, give my son a five-year guaranteed deal, and let him do his thing." But I just hope that his son has got to be a little more free range on Saturdays. Like, don't get me wrong, Kirk Frentz has done a great job with the program, developing kids, putting people in the NFL. But Saturdays is just so boring. I'd rather watch paint dry sometimes, <laughs> just watching what I'm doing. And it's just time for a change. Like, I enjoy what Especially. he's done. He's gonna have a trophy built after him. But man, the game is passed him by on Saturdays. Hey, they so need a trophy in that case, yet. so. Yeah, they yeah. need a trophy in the case, so just make one for them, and that I think that's yeah. well, or the high V, whatever you get yeah, for beating they, us. Yeah. But that's um, right, that's right. The one that gets forgotten sometimes, probably. Yeah. Oh no, that yeah, was that I was mean, Diaco's. Oh, that was Brian. Yeah. Brian is a you know actually a little more vocal. It feels like sure. uh, than uh, Kirk, and is stoked a little bit of the Nebraska Iowa fires there. So. I mean, he's a little spicier on that sense, so I could see him being a little bit more progressive if he would take over. Um, yeah, Honk? So so I know just back, uh, what, a week or so back in Council Bluffs, mm-hmm. I think they were doing some Iowa you know, fan thing, and they had like the yeah. radio guy, and he was throwing a little shade at Nebraska. And I don't want to get too deep into what he was saying because that doesn't matter two bits to me. But one of the things he did say was that the two big wins they had, he didn't mention Ohio State, but he mentioned beating 4-8 and eight Nebraska, but also beating Iowa State. And – I don't know how much redcasters out there care about Iowa and Iowa State, but I kind of do. And what is <laughs> well, what is the view right now of Matt Campbell out there? What they've been doing? That Joe Burrow just left Ohio State today, and there's talk of Joe Burrow potentially even to Iowa State. You know, I'm just so I'm just wow. curious. Okay. What's the Iowa Iowa State? Um, what's the feel of that, that right dynamic? Now? I can sum it up for you. So Matt Campbell, I don't think he's there in three years. Like honestly, they gave him a. Uh, they're AD to get a job of locking him in for guaranteed money, but I think he's going to be shopping an SEC school in the next couple of years because what he's doing at Iowa State's good, but he's he's not going to stick around. And from a standpoint, I don't even know why we have him on the schedule. And I'm going to go off on a real quick tangent, but 
if we beat them, we're supposed to, and if we lose, it's our it's our season, it's over. So like to me, the f- second game of the week, we spool up with a you know first week is a Division two school or like a Wyoming, and then we play Iowa State, but they bring their A game. Like they might be four and eight, yep. but the fan base, if they beat us, that's all they talk about, and that's a success, and that gets their jo- coach the next year's job. Like, but if mm-hmm. they beat Iowa, it's bragging rights in the state. So it's unfortunate that the state loves it, but I'm over it. Like I'd rather see us playing uh, uh, somewhere in Missouri playing you know, Chicago soldier field or something playing against, you know, uh, Missouri or something, or, or open up the reins where we're playing a, a decent I, sec or a pack 12 or, or doing a one in one with these guys, because it, it doesn't bring any notoriety to us. It's a, that's your non-conference game is Iowa state. Like, what are we mm-hmm. doing here? They're, they're four and eight or, uh, they're six and six and Matt Campbell's getting it done. But, uh, I, I, to me, he's an up and coming coach. He's got a fire in him too. And he's doing it with nothing there. Like he, they're, they're competing, Every Saturday in the Big 12, and I think they're undermatched. Like, I think he's going to get paid from somebody. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. You're limited with your scheduling with a nine-game conference schedule. Mm-hmm. It's only three non-cons, and one of them goes to your in-state school, right. who's always going to be the yeah. little brother. Uh, you have two left, and you're going to have at least one warm-up. So For you sure. might have flexibility at one yeah. other interesting game every once in a while at best. I right? mean, look at who you guys have scheduled the last couple of years. Like, you're going up against Oregon. Did you guys have uh, BYU on the docket? Like, we had BYU. We had BYU um, the same year that we had Miami. And, yeah, and so- we were playing Oregon because Tennessee backed out or pushed it back 10 years. But you're right. I mean, I, I remember with, with Iowa, they kind of had a almost like a lifetime contract, it seemed like, with Pitt for a while. They were playing yes. Pitt just by every year. But I think you're, you're, you're dead on there, Iowa, Sean, with, with the Iowa State thing, with them being Power 5, it almost hurts you. Like, it would be better yes. if Iowa State was in the MAC or something. You could still play them every year and then still turn around and play a, a – a big time power five school and it devalues Iowa when they don't get that, that year to year matchup. Even when Nebraska goes out and plays USC, like they did and got beat badly, at least we were playing them. At least yeah. they were coming to Lincoln. It, it, it puts you at a certain value level. And, and then there are schools that can't quite get those home and aways with schools, or there are schools that have to get a two for one, the way that Southern Miss and Wyoming had to do it with Nebraska and Fresno. And it always puts a value or devalues you. And, just once, I want to see Iowa. I would love to see, and I know you would too. I'd love to see Iowa playing, you know, LSU home and away, something like that. Get out of your comfort zone, like so. You talked about you guys got beat by USC, but it doesn't matter. That Saturday, you guys, that was a big time. That was a marquee matchup. Yeah, we had ESPN like, game day I, there. Yeah, Iowa State, Iowa is nobody cares except for the three million people in the state like let's get out and at least bring a national brand or at least show me that you're striving for something like don't just say you're playing a couple uh preseason games and you're just warming up like pretend like you want to be there and you want to be a top 15 program like to me it just get out of your comfort zone and schedule somebody and, and it maybe not an lsu but dude go after a middle tier sec team Bre- arkansas when belamo's down there like get yeah. some excitement there like yeah. like just give me somebody in the middle of the middle of the pack and at least get some excitement to the fan base exactly especially with the the backwards way that the big 10 has done scheduling is that iowa is now at a point that they it's all or nothing iowa plays a tough schedule or like the year you guys went undefeated which i think you guys were a legitimate team but you can't tell that from the from the conference schedule you played because you didn't play michigan state you didn't play ohio state you didn't play you know, Michigan until you got to the championship game. Now, what you've proven in the last two years is you can beat Michigan at home, and that was a huge win. You've beaten Ohio State at home a year ago. That was a huge win. But it's not consistent from the Big Ten. Now, Nebraska, we get 
we get the just the ridiculous schedule. So, you know, our fans know this. I don't know if you do, Iowa, Sean, but next year we're playing at Iowa, at Wisconsin, at Michigan, at Ohio State. We have Michigan State coming here. I mean, my goodness, anyone that wants to say that we, we don't deserve something because we North play Western, in the West, man. we basically play in the East next year. <laughs> So, but the point is, <laughs> but the point you is, guys first, oh, yeah, I just said the you point guys, is with Iowa. I mean, I think you guys, I'd love to see you be able to do that in the non-conference. For sure. No, that you guys came in with the glass slipper. Like you guys came in and I remember you guys first year, they tagged you up with every marquee matchup. Like it, it was murder's row that first year you guys came in and, and yeah. they, they don't give you guys any help because they want, they want to put you on the pedestal and make a marquee matchup with you guys. And, and hey, I think be, it's good. Like I, I enjoy being next door and you guys being in our division because all of a sudden the West doesn't look as soft. Wisconsin's playing. They don't look as soft. So to where like, I enjoy that it's a little bit more top heavy, obviously not what the East is doing, but when Nebraska, like Scott Frost, he, he put us on notice, man, the recruiting class you guys brought in in the short time. And uh, you guys are going to score some points. Well, that's all, what we hope. Yeah. All I can tell you is, is the Redcast has, has been trying to contact Frenz's uh, agent, and we're hoping to get a good deal for you know a five to ten year contract yeah. and uh, guarantee money. Guarantee, guarantee money. We'll just take a couple million. We don't need more than that. <laughs> hey, also, if you're above fifty percent, there's a pretty sweet bonus in there too. You win seven games, it's a pretty sick bonus in there too. Every you get that, it's all we got to go five hundred on the podcast, yeah. Tonky, and it's guaranteed money. Yep. Oh, are you talking about picks? Because I'm way below 500, but I, I've made 100% of the podcast. I've, I've made every one. So. Well, let, let's uh, change gears a little bit here. We actually talked about uh, Joe Burrow a little bit, so let's continue that just a little bit. Scarlet colored glasses. And next on the Go Big Red cast, let's do some scarlet colored glasses. Throwing on those glasses, talking all things Husker football. And, uh, you know, Hunk, why don't we do uh, some mailbag? Let's dig into that mailbag and see what's in there. Yeah, it's been a while. We haven't done the mailbag in, in about a month or so. And uh, so we had a really good uh, question. Well, we had a, several questions this week. Sorry that we can't get to everyone's, but we got to Topher. And Topher asked, uh, where do you see NU's program five years from now? First off, is Topher short for Christopher? Is that correct? Uh, that, would, that would be my anyone, guess. Anyone? Could be the guy from the ninety show yeah, or whatever. Yeah, seventy show. Topher, probably, show. It, Topher Grace is now listening to us. That, that makes sense. I heard sense. he's a big Husker Excellent. fan. Well, Topher, yeah, cool. Glad you asked. <laughs> uh, yeah, Mac. Let her. Let him know. You know, in five years from now, it's a really good question because um, I was thinking about. We always talk about how UCF is kind of the model and everything like that, uh, but but he only had two years of development with that team as far as strength and conditioning, and I really think that will be. Um, what separates Nebraska again? Uh, what what it used to do in the past is we're going to truly start developing players, and hopefully on a level that we haven't seen a spread offense really do before, where he really is combining that Husker power with that Oregon spread. You know, kind of changing some of the elements to the spread to fit the Big Ten Conference. You know, so what I look for are you know, six five size lineman in the three ten range with really good feet. I look for running backs ranging from if we're going prototypical, from the five nine to six foot range, anywhere between one eighty five to two ten. Uh wide receivers will vary in size with a few big tall guys. The tight ends will be a big part of the offense. Um defensively, you know, as we start filling out these guys, uh it'll be interesting to see what we do outside linebacker, uh, what kind of players we recruit for that over time. And then I also think we're going to have a huge, going forward, I think we're always going to have a fairly big junior college component to our recruiting. 
So that, you know, kind of keep that pipeline going. Because recruiting is going to have to be a little different than most of the nations. Um, I think what we're going to really value is the development of our players. And then we can sprinkle in some of these JUCO guys for some immediate help. So uh, that's kind of how I see it in the future, you know. So, Mac, you're talking from a a physical standpoint, what do we look like uh, in five years? But... Uh, maybe I, someone else might take that question as like, you know, what, what are the results on the field? Do you feel the level of success uh, will be there in five years? In five years, if the things, yes. Long story short, yes. If if what I'm thinking happens on the uh, on the player side of things and the development side of things, I can't I can't help but think we'd be kind of back into that nine to ten win seasons um, and pushing for conference titles depending on how many special players you have. That's where we should be. That's where we've recruited to anyway. You know, we've already recruited ourselves to be the top it's team true. in the West. So now if we can just develop those same players and have an identity to which develop them to and have a strength coach who actually has an idea what that looks like, then I don't see any reason that couldn't be accomplished in two to three years. And by year five, we should really see what what the total picture of this program looks like. So right. in, in year five, in year five, we should be – we should already be supplanting Wisconsin as the top team in the West if things are going right. Mark it down. There you go, Topher. So, I think this is a, a actually almost might become right. a, <laughs> this might become a, a whole segment actually because this is really interesting because you're talking about player development when we have Iowa Sean with us who stated that Iowa is a, a developmental program. Uh, so first of all, I'll just ask the same question, Sean. What do you think? Nebraska will be like in five years. So I was just hoping it would take Scott Frost a couple years to get it together with the couple months he took. He got a good recruiting class. Like what he still finished top 25, right? Yep. Tw- that's right. Tw- 20, 20th, 21st. 20. So, and that's in the short time he had. So to me, and that's a point it's scary. Iowa, we get we're 40th Wisconsin. They're anywhere from 30 to 40. They don't bring in hammering classes. So I thought, okay, what's another weakness? maybe a stopgap because that front seven on your guys' defense, they didn't. They kind of looked soft last year. But then the research I've done, I've read some articles and I listened to an Iowa podcast, and they mentioned that in your guys' spring game that they look like men already. Like that, that front seven on your guys' defense, they looked pretty legit. Like they, they wasn't the same team that you guys showed up with last year. And in those spring games, most of the time, yeah, there's always individuals that come out and they play better, but you are what you are in the spring game as far as an, an offense and defense. And uh, from what – the stuff I've read is they've already done a good job at developing those guys. So I always knew you guys were going to score points, but I just thought, okay, maybe the defense front seven is an Iowa team that can run the ball. We can maybe just wear you down. But it seems like he's already transformed that front seven. So I think the seal or the the floor is probably like a nine win nine wins for you guys. And I think with the way you guys recruit and the way that he uh, revolutionizes, yeah, that kind of like power scheme with the spread of the Oregon style that, yeah, it, it's not unthinkable to think you guys are competing for a playoff and stuff too. That's, that's your ceiling. But to me, and I'm not even being a homer about this, but the, it was a great hire and I'm excited for what you guys are going to do because it's going to make Iowa have to step it up too. And if you guys just keep spanking us, we're forced to change and adapt to like the next generation of football. You know, it's, it's just a time that, so I, I put it back on Iowa, but I, I honestly think that you're going to see nine wins and what that schedule's coming up. As long as the quarterback isn't getting killed because of that offensive line, if you guys can keep him healthy, if you got a couple guys that can run that offense, because with Scott Frost's offense, with 
so goes the quarterback. You guys are going to score points, and right. you guys are going to put the Big Ten West on blast. Hey, you got to score thirty-five to beat us, right? Yeah. I, I mean, that, that's essentially the bar you guys set. Like on a bad day, you guys are going to put up twenty-eight to thirty-five points, and the question is, can that other offense match it? Yeah, this show is writing itself. This is great. I, this is so easy to host right now. I'll follow up with Sean really quick, and we're going to throw it over to Honk. Uh, from the developmental side, can you, as a Nebraska fan, I've always been confused with Iowa and Wisconsin. You have been so great developing players, but it almost feels like you don't even care about recruiting classes. Like, you don't even care to like, get, like, a few four-star guys sometimes. It drives me crazy. It's like, you're okay with the 45th recruiting class? I mean, what is the mentality that brings you to that point? And I wouldn't expect you guys to watch it, but we put in offers for guys that are from Florida that are four-star guys. In Indianapolis, we compete. We go out uh, east, and we uh, go into Jersey, and we try to get those guys. But we can't even get them on campus, those guys from the south. We're doing a little bit better job of going into Alabama and getting a couple two or three stars that aren't necessarily getting the offers from the SEC. But... um Honestly, they've just they've know that they they're building on potential. Like we can't go out and just we even lost a quarterback, Max Duggan. I'm sure you guys talked to him because Nebraska yep. was kind of involved with him too. We can't even keep an in-state four-star guy. He's going to go fling the ball at TCU 40 times a game because it's not his style. It's not his brand of football. But Matt Campbell couldn't keep him either. So uh, so I mean, Josh Jackson, that guy didn't have any other major Power Five offers, and he slid out of the first round, but he ended up getting drafted. So. Uh, I love friends. He can develop. We got great development, but um, they, they they don't care. They, they they just look for potential guys that they can redshirt, and in two to three years, can I get something out of them? And that's why it takes us about every four years we make a run because we're not built to reload every year. Like we, it's it's a developmental program. Mm-hmm. We got to recruit guys. You're taking those two or three star guys, and they're in the program for four or five years, yeah. and they be they play like four star guys. Yeah when they're yeah. seniors and that's why our strength conditioning coach is getting paid some of the biggest money in the country he's, he's making most than uh most of our assistants is because he does a good job and he's been there for 20 years with friends so mm-hmm. they just they bulk them up they turn uh guys you know tight ends and turn them into left tackles you know they wasn't gallery that pounds. yeah exactly like that, that's what we do with a lot of guys and uh so we just we put 20 30 pounds of muscle on them depending on the position and, and then they just coach to what they want and they know it because it hasn't changed every position has been this is what we need from them and they haven't changed it and so for better or worse consistency in a program think, wow exactly An and, amazing for, idea. and for better or worse i might come back two or three years later and when france is gone and all of a sudden be like man i miss that seven and five every year <laughs> all of a sudden we dip down we're four and eight one year and then we win so i don't know maybe i'm just feeling spoiled but i'm ready for some something new do you think yeah. one of the reasons he <laughs> hasn't right, switched to that more of oh, a spread offense is because of uh his lack of ability to recruit i mean is he worried that he wouldn't be able to get the kind of talent he'd need at quarterback is that do you think that factors into it at all because of his lack of recruiting prowess that he kind of says well what i can recruit are these big linemen these you know you know play action style quarterbacks and a, and a decent running back or or do you think do you think another coach could get different different caliber players there? Well, so Nate Stanley, he's a four-star guy. So, I mean, he, he was pretty well off. But I know what you mean, like pocket passing. The one thing that I think he does is aware of that we, for whatever reason, we're the only Power 5 program that can't re- get a receiver. Like, I mean, you got mm. the Marylands of the world that are putting out first-round talent. Like, receivers, we haven't put in a receiver in the NFL in 20 years, man. I, Marvin McNutt might have sniffed a training camp and, right. and he was Iowa's all-time leading receiver and uh 
we we do get rec- we we recruit receivers that are six two, and we make them we redshirt them here and we put them at corner, and then we, they go <laughs> yeah. to the NFL. And so so like his his plan is like, hey, we're going to beat you twenty one fourteen, twenty one seventeen, and if we win the turnover battle, we're going to beat you. But for some reason, he he doesn't think it's sexy to score points, and so I think he could re- <laughs> I think he could recruit the talent. We got the guys that could do it, but we just change the positions. We change so many positions, and like we'll, we'll see a guy, and. uh that linebacker, he's going to look better at safety, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like we just move, we have a lot of moving parts. We'll get receivers and be like, Hey, we're going to put on 30, 40 pounds and you're going to be a tight end and you're going to put three point stance. And you're going to block, but you're not going to see the field till you can block. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's just, huh? it's a system. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you, I think, uh, with the QB thing is really interesting to me because just in general, I can speak from a, a Riley and Callahan era thing here. I've just never been, and I've been consistent with saying this, I'm not as worried about playing dropback QBs. I'm not worried about Hornerbrook at Wisconsin. That's not the thing that beats us. The thing that beats us is a dominant offensive line, which in Wisconsin's case, they have like 130 starts back from their five linemen. And Iowa tends to run into that three to four year cycle too. They have that year where they get, yeah. you know, five guys that are redshirt juniors or seniors. And then when everyone graduates, then they struggle for two years to get back to it. That's kind of been the Iowa thing. But on top of that, Iowa, you mentioned Jackson, my gosh, the Desmond Kings and the Sean Praters and the Drew Otts. I mean, they've had a number of guys that are two- and three-star kind of kids. Unfortunately, again, some of them right out of our own state. And those are the guys that uh, they get developed and they know how to develop players. Your strength coach. um, Oh, gosh, who was our strength coach under under – Pelini because he came from Iowa and he was a disciple of the guy. I can't even Dobson. Dobson, thank oh, yeah, you, James yeah, yeah. Dobson. Yeah, he was under he was under Chris Doyle. Yeah, yep. so I mean, kind of learned the same way. There's, you know, absolutely. Iowa's done a great job of of, uh, of developing. As we talk about what Nebraska and to Topher's question, thank you again, Topher, for it. Five years from now, um, what I was thinking of when when I read that question was Mandel, um, Stuart Mandel, and Bruce Feldman doing a the audible. Uh, if you don't listen to that podcast, I would download it. It's a great one. And they just talked about on the April 23rd episode, it was right after all the spring games were getting done after that weekend, they spent the first seven minutes talking about Nebraska. And Mandel, who a year ago took us off his Kings list, <clears throat> and go back and listen to one of our shows last summer. We talked about that. <laughs> but um, but anyways, when he took us off the Kings list, he kind of he gave us that lazy, stupid you know, excuse of, well, we're in the middle of nowhere and can't recruit. And it's like, give me a break. Yeah, that That's so, so tired because – we kind of won a lot of games with no population, and but what we had was we had a, a system, we recruited to it, we you know we had great coaches, blah blah blah, all that developed, developed. Well, Mandel has changed his tune a little bit in a year, and I'm not trying to knock Mandel. Other people have done the same thing, but but specifically Mandel talked about how we were lacking an identity on offense, and he goes, "What is that identity post option?" And we never could find it. He goes, "Now we have found it. We're trying to be the Oregon of the Midwest." So fast forward to, to Topher's question five years from now. Absolutely. If, if we're going to be successful, it's going to be because we're the Oregon of the Midwest, but I'm going to add a little something to it. It is what Frost has talked about. He told us this at the uh, coaches clinic. He said it in other cases. It's what Zach Duvall does in the, in the Husker power side. We are going to be Oregon speed with Husker power. If we are those two things on offense, in five years, we will be really dangerous. Now, in year one and year two, the thing that's probably going to happen, because we're not going to quite be there on offense, is that, to your point, Iowa, Sean, on defense, we're going to need to be good, like maybe you saw a little bit in the spring game. That front seven's going to have to be better, and that's not asking a lot, considering what the front seven looked like a year ago, but it has to be better. That's what UCF was in year one. UCF in year one was not an offensive juggernaut. They were more of a defensive juggernaut. Right. 
And that's, I think the black shirts are going to have to be the black shirts next year, help that offense along, get into year two and three. And then you're going to start to see, you know, by the time you get to year five, you know, if things are working, we have a good black shirt defense going there, but we've got, we've got Oregon speed with Nebraska Husker power. That's if we're doing that in year five, I'm putting zero limit or ceiling on this program. I don't think it. Can I ask you guys a question? I don't think it has to take longer than that. Yes. So with the uh, the black shirt concept, do you think it's capable to have both? Because Scott Frost, he wants to spread you out and run a super fast tempo offense. And if you're scoring in three to four plays, and then you put your defense back out there, like how are you going to create that black shirt identity? And and maybe it's more of an identity versus maybe points per game. But mm-hmm. how do you guys feel about that? Is it- counting on an Iowa guy to do that for us. So. <laughs> well, so this is something that happened at, at the coaches' clinic, and Frost mentioned it, and I thought it was a great point. He knocked his own former program, not Nebraska. He knocked Oregon. When Oregon came to Nebraska back in what 2016, and we beat them, mm-hmm. he talked about how when you use tempo. It's a, it's a misnomer to sit there and say that, that Oregon or UCF ran 100% tempo. They didn't. You had to pick and choose your times to run it. And he knocked Oregon that at the end of the first half, they had a lead on us. They went into tempo at a time that they probably shouldn't have. They, they did exactly what you just said. They went three and out and kicked the ball back. And, and all of a sudden, Nebraska got the ball, got, scored a, a late touchdown. I think, uh, if I remember right, personnel had that punt return, and mm-hmm. we had a quick touchdown. And all of a sudden, we went into halftime with a, a close game. And Frost mentioned that he's watching it on TV, and he's not rooting for anyone necessarily. It's his alma mater versus his former school. But he was like, he was kind of looking at Oregon, going, "What you know? Don't do that. What were you? That's just bad football." And right. if he has that mentality, if he can keep that mentality as a head coach in the Big Ten, that you can't just put your guys in those positions, I think he'll be fine. It's interesting that you say that too. Is that I think of again with Oregon, I think of Brady Hoke, Brady Hoke hated when he got to Michigan he hated the concept of the spread offense with with uh, Robinson and everything because of what it did to the defense right and he specifically said that as a head coach at Michigan he's like I don't like what this does to the defense and then when he got fired he ended up becoming the defensive coordinator at at Oregon and surprise (laughs) surprise it didn't work very well (laughs) but you're right you have to you have to work well together offensively and defensively to run this offense and I'll, I, you know we talked about Diaco being from Iowa Shenander's from Iowa mm-hmm. um, Shenander seems to, to, to have a good working relationship and understanding of how his defense needs to work with Frost offense and vice versa Frost has coached defense before and I think that it's about not setting your defense up in bad positions yeah I think that was a a, a key element there is that uh, the defensive coordinator understands what Frost offense does and how to actually work with that and, and the expectations that are, are about it. That was a really great question that I think it was a, a Nebraska high school coach asked that question, at the coaches clinic and Frost just knew the answer right away. I mean, he was adamant about that, that you have to put your defense in, in better positions than what Oregon did against Nebraska that year. So that was a really great point. Well, they also are going to, they also are going to have to key on different statistics defensively to kind of rate success because they are simply going to have more plays against them because yeah, right. ideally if this offense is clicking it's not it's not a ball control man it's it's points so but their their offsetting point to that was to say a young pass rusher coming out you're going to get so many more opportunities to rush the passer per game you know chances to put up more statistics more sacks more pass breakups stuff like that you'll get a lot of reps and get really good at what you're doing but but when you look at the yeah, end of the day 
maybe they allowed 24, 27, 28 points. We kind of talked about this. Like, how many points are we going to say is okay to allow? They, and, the yards and and points are going to show up. Absolutely. But if you look at the UCF in particular, there was only, a, if you take the few games where they had really high-level competition, relatively speaking there, with Memphis, South Florida, and then Auburn, you took those off. That defense actually did pretty well across the board on a lot of statistical categories, even points. It just, they gave up a lot of points in a couple of key games, and it, it looked bad in those. I guess. But the mm-hmm. bottom line is they got the W, and and he coached those games well. Like you could tell, it was a chess match back and forth. Like it wasn't just hey, we're playing field position, we're punting away. Let's see if we can get a stop. Like they were scoring. There, there was a lot of moving parts in the. Uh, the South Florida game, oh, the Memphis yeah. game, and, and Auburn too. Sure. So like he he he's shown me uh, in his limited time as a head coach that he's he's got that that feel on the sideline, and and that's something that not a lot of coaches I think develop that quickly. But he's he's got a feel, and I think he can know when to step on the gas and when to like pump the brakes. And, and it's slow all the, about the, the turnovers tempo. for that defense, right? And, yeah, and you know there is just this simple thing. I don't know how to coach it necessarily, but just it's just effort. And when you would watch Nebraska last year against the two teams that we've talked about in the West, Iowa and Wisconsin, we're talking about two teams. Iowa, we were people forget this as bad as things were going, we were tied at half. Uh, Wisconsin, we took the lead in the third quarter, and or did we tie it in the third quarter? Whatever, it was tied. In okay, the it was tied quarter, in the yeah. third quarter. Point is, that's late in the game to really have a close game. Oh, and then by the way, then they went on to score like seventeen touchdowns collectively against us. But the point is, it, we just it's flat out giving up mm-hmm. well you, when you watch the UCF Auburn game Auburn can make every excuse because they're an SEC team that somehow they they you know they didn't win the game because they weren't trying or whatever but rewatch that game and pay attention about five to six minutes into the third quarter Auburn's on a roll Auburn's ready to kill UCF yeah. and that takes a that takes a strong-minded team a strong-minded coach and when you think of all the, the distractions and everything that they went through in the previous month, it's a total credit to UCF, and there's a reason that they get the Redcast National Championship uh, you know, on their ring, is that they, <laughs> right. they withstood that, that, that onslaught that Auburn gave them. And that's a real credit to them. I mean, that's a great coaching job. Another thing that they, they do hang their hat on defensively is over the last two years, 16 and 17, they had the third most turnovers nationally. So they had 58 turnovers total on defense over the last two years. And then – Defensive backs themselves, 35, which is also third most in the nation for over the last two years of interceptions alone. So, I mean, that that the kind of attacking, that kind of that, – it's it's cool that they're matching both sides. You know, when, when Bo Pelini was here, we were definitely an attacking defense, man. We were going out and killing people. But our offense was meek, you know, and timid. We are attacking on both sides of the ball right now. I think that will be our identity, period. Well, and, and- – what we were on offense under Pelini at times was a hybrid kind of offense. We also experienced that under Riley. Many this, hybrids. This hybrid concept. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something here to maybe cool the the heads a little bit of the, the Redcasters out there. And let me preface this by I am old school. Dave, am I old school? Old as you can get. Old school. I'm the old curmudgeon. I love fullbacks. Guess what? This is not a hybrid offense that Coach Ross is running. No, it's no hybrid. I realize that Ben Miles just left this week, and I wish Ben the best wherever he ends up going, but we are not going to have fullbacks next year. That's not because Frost doesn't believe in power football. It doesn't mean because Frost doesn't believe in the use of a fullback. I think he's had one lined up before, behind him before a couple of times wearing red. But this is not a hybrid offense. They know what they want to run. And – when we had Watson transition as Sean Watson as an offensive coordinator into running spread that freshman year of, of Martinez, 
that was some bizarre, weird, kind of spread, kind of West Coast offense. When we had, you know, Riley for two years going, this is neat. We're going to learn how to kind of do a kind of a couple things together. That's not an <laughs> offense. It's pretty special. It's a special. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Matt, is it fun to – it's kind of fun to yeah, just when learn. You can, when you can combine two offenses it's and, fun. and not make it work, it's a pretty neat deal. It's fun in the it's neighborhood. No, we can't do that. You no. got it. Yeah, and that's what Mandel was talking about when he said that we finally have found an identity, or, or he thinks he, we do. Stuart Mandel says that, and that's why we're going to be good on offense in the next five years. Well, that's so what I'm, we're doing. I'm from, I'm from fullback university, fullback U. That's what we run, two tight ends and a fullback. But what you've allowed by just eliminating that position, and to me it's just a numbers game, with Akram Wadley in the backfield, if you put four receivers out, you've instantly eliminated the people in the box, and then the numbers are in your favor. And what you guys are going to bring every time is a running quarterback, so you've instantly offset your numbers where you have a plus one. As soon as you put a fullback in, that those that safety can come into the box. You've eliminated one more option on the offense. So like, it, just because you spread them out doesn't mean you can't run uh, a, a smash mouth football. I, I've been saying it for Iowa for years. Like we have a talented dude like Akram Wadley who's not a big bruiser that can run in. 20 plus carries a game into an eight man box, which he did for his whole career. And he still made things happen, mm-hmm. which is unbelievable that he could get outside of that. But you spread guys out and all of a sudden that brings linebackers out that brings in a nickel back. If you start torching them and then all of a sudden that, that box gets smaller and you still have the hogs up front to get that blocking. And, but you've just allowed yourself, not only have you eliminated a fullback, who's not an option to get the ball, you mm-hmm. add a plus one with your quarterback. Who's going to get the ball. Who, who's going to have an option. Yeah, well, you know, and that's game, the thing. Steve right? Sipple, he had a good article, I think, with Ron Brown over the weekend. And Ron Brown, longtime Husker coach, receivers coach and tight ends coach under Osborne, and then eventually a running backs coach. So this is a guy that has all that experience on the outside and with the backs. And he flat out just said, well, with no fullbacks, your tight ends kind of become those fullbacks. Mm-hmm. And we've seen enough, in the, in the, that, for, whether it's the coaches clinic or the spring game or whatever, we've seen enough to show where they can get into double tight end sets. They'll get double tight ends in there. There'll be power sets, and they'll have receivers, whether they are lined up spread or when we'd see Lindsey get into the backfield and be a back right next to Martinez. And when you've got Greg Bell or, or a running back of that kind of speed lined up next to a quarterback like Martinez and his speed, yeah. lined up next to a wide receiver of Tyjon Lindsey and his speed, that's a ton of speed there, and you can still have two tight ends on the field. I think, you I can think, have a power side yeah. with speed on top of speed on top of speed. I think the tight end is going to become a pretty dynamic position in our offense going forward. I think the way they're recruiting that and the way that you know you just saw a little bit of it in the spring game and certainly saw plenty of it during practice, um, they're really going to feature those guys this year. So maybe that is how we, we make that first adjustment to kind of a more power look in the Big Ten, because I don't recall and I haven't watched enough of UCF games to see if they use a tight end that much. I know they had that one guy that they used a lot, but he was more of a vertical passing threat. So, I mean, going forward, there's just between the the, the running back and the tight end positions will both be really dynamic positions for our offense because of the way that we're going to use them out, the slot backs and such. I mean, it'll just be it'll be super interesting going forward because I don't think it'll be easy to key on or take, because we were talking about this tonight, like, how would you take away our offense? You know, like, if it was Jebbia who was going to be the quarterback versus Martinez, you know, is is it worth him being able to push the ball downfield so much more than, than Martinez' ability to run the ball later in the game? Because you could take away, potentially, his ability to, to scramble. I don't know. Do you, guys, do you guys see Martinez starting week one as a true freshman? Is, is that a possibility? How's he looked? Or what's the... It's possible. Yes, yeah. it's, I, I won't. 
Absolutely, I could see it. Absolutely, I could see it. Yeah. I could see Jebbia as well. I Absolutely. Don't, I, don't, I don't think that's out of, out of the question. I think right now it's 50-50 between those two. But Martinez did look good enough in spring that it, it could be could happen. Verdusco has said the most efficient quarterback, whoever. The, I, I can see Bunch be the guy if he's the guy that ends up being the most efficient. That I'm not saying he will be, but I'm just saying that's that's what Verdusco said on, on, on day one. That's the most important thing to him. So, But to your absolutely, Martinez could be that guy. He looks – I will say this. Of- Martinez absolutely looks the most – he looks like the best fit for this offense, whether he's the ready system. on week one. That's he looks question. like an Oregon quarterback, like one of the good Oregon quarterbacks. And I don't think I'm too far off by saying this, but you – because of an injury, you might see both. You might see two guys getting getting reps this That's year. That's what right? I was saying. Oh, That's yeah. why I don't think Absolutely. even if so, even if it was Martinez, there's no way Jebbia should go. I think he should stay. I think he'll play. I think they'll both play no matter what. For sure. Yeah, I think that's the attitude. Yeah, you want to play both of those guys in September, and if something shakes out, that makes sense. Uh, well, I mean, that is unless we get a transfer QB. I mean. Is it, what's the odds of Joe Burrow, and do we actually even want him at all? Uh, he did announce that he's leaving Ohio State today. Do we want Joe Burrow, and where do you put Nebraska in that race? Uh, right now, I, I'm happy enough with what we have in our quarterback's room to not want to disrupt things by bringing in Burrow. Not that I, I don't even know if he's interested in being here anyways, but there is an element of, if you bring him in, it just feels like it's just going to push someone else out. And I know the grass is always greener on the other side. The other player is always better. And I don't want to knock Joe Burrow. I haven't watched him play, honestly, barely any snaps. All I know is he hasn't been able to win the starting job at another school against guys that are newer in the system than him. And I don't I don't just believe that he's just going to immediately come over here and just be an immediate starter. And so – Can I play – Yeah, go for it. Can I play de- devil's advocate on that? Sure. So he, he was at Ohio State. The guy was a super talented high school kid. He didn't get he's not getting beat out by slouches. Obviously he's been in the system longer, mm-hmm. but I think I think of like Wisconsin when Russell Wilson showed up his senior year. I would bear to think he showed up he wasn't spring ball. He showed up like I think he transferred in the summer. So he came over yep. and won the job. So for better or worse, if the chemistry's off, um he didn't win the job, so be it. He doesn't get the job. But if he comes in and he uh raises the the level of the room and if he wins a job i don't think you're going to turn him away by a guy who just because he didn't win urban meyer's offense because they got two other guys that might be more superior like uh i know urban meyer likes what he has but mm. he seems like a dual threat quarterback to put up a lot of numbers in high school my guess is urban meyer wishes he didn't lose him right now because i think he's going to want that sure. depth because ohio state goes through quarterbacks yeah, every year what i would right. say is yeah. compared to say exactly what you said there with with uh with um Oh my gosh, uh, Russell. Russell going to Russell Wisconsin. Yeah. He went there to start. It wasn't. I don't even know if it was a competition. That's... I can't name you who the second or third string guy was. I know that when you bring in grad transfers, you don't bring them in for depth. You bring them in because they're going to play. And right now, for all the recruitniks out there, we have two four-star California kids right now that are leading up the, the quarterback race, and that's pretty darn good. I don't know how many teams out there can say, hey, we have two four-star quarterbacks, one and two battling for it. And I know that, that Jebby is a popular guy on the team. I think Martinez definitely is a good fit, as we talked about earlier. And the only thing I don't want to do is disrupt it. Now, if a guy like Burrow is willing to come here and compete, and it's well explained to everybody internally in that QB room why he's coming in here, that it's he is not coming in here, to he hasn't been guaranteed anything. If, if that kind of thing is being talked about, 
more power to it. I'll take the depth. Frost has talked already about how he, how ideally he would like five QBs in that room. I just know how typically yeah. grad transfers are – they're not transferring to, to provide depth, which is what some people talk about. God, I, I would love him to be depth in the room. Well, I would too. I would love Burrow to be our third string <laughs> guy know, after Burrow after you know injuries, but in it just doesn't. The reality weird, is, right? it just doesn't work like that. Yeah, if he if he yeah. the only reason I would like him to come is if say Jebbia left before fall ball. If there was some reason, like if Jebbia finally said, "Right now, I'm going to transfer," then absolutely we go after this guy. But short of that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with Honk on this. I just feel like that's a, a disruption in the quarterback room that we don't know that it's necessarily. If the juice is worth the squeeze on that one, you know what I mean? Um, yeah, if yeah, if it's even like it is right fair. now, man, I would rather go with the, the true freshman and let him take his lumps personally. Yeah, yeah. I'd agree with that. You, the upside is going to be a lot bigger. He's going to learn on the fly. So Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think Burrow – could find a good spot. I mean, we just mentioned that it, maybe Iowa State's uh, hot on his list, but I mean, he he could start in a lot of places. I think that run a similar spread offense without the competition and disruption in a QB room. And so the only reason he'd choose Nebraska is somehow he in his heart decided he really wanted to play where his father and, and, and brother played. Right? Yeah, it seems like that's the the reason. Well, speaking of. Um, you know, having a quarterback and, and needing a quarterback to, to win championships. We all know that Nebraska hasn't won a conference championship since 1999. Uh, at Hockey, I think uh, we had some interesting chatter about um, programs with uh, droughts in, in football and also lack of production in, in basketball. Uh, you want to jump on that? Nebraska ball. Well, it was just something that, that we kind of had a text message going back and forth between the the, the four of us. It was Boomer, actually, right? I think so. Different. I think Boomer may have started it. And, and it was just about – it was the correlation of that we all know that since 1999, Nebraska football hasn't won a conference football title. But it was, it's was it been since 1999 that Vincent Hamilton went in the second round of the NBA draft, and we haven't had a single guy get drafted since. And the question within our group became, when's the last time or, – or out of all the Power 5 schools out there, is there anyone else that since 1999 – in the two major sports, football and men's basketball, that haven't won a conference title and parlayed that without having a single guy draft in the NBA draft? Is there any other team? We haven't gone through every single Power 5 school, but we went through the, the traditional teams you would think of, the Vanderbilts, Oregon States, and you know Rutgers, and they all at least met one of those criteria. Northwestern was co-champs of the, the Big Ten football in 2000. Everyone had at least somebody knocked off that list and so, again, I mean, somebody can do the research. Redcasters, feel free and let us know. But, but we couldn't think of – like, we couldn't find anyone that didn't meet that criteria. That's pathetic. That's, that's an amazing step. From a, just from a basketball perspective, the fact that we haven't had anybody drafted in 20 years, uh, that's, that's shocking stuff. Uh, Iowa? What's Iowa done? Uh, so, um, I know 2007, uh, Haleska – he got drafted second round, and we've always the last three years we've had first team all Big Ten guys, but they haven't been drafted. I don't. Jared Utah, if he chose not to get drafted because he wanted, um, he wanted to try out. He didn't want to go play in the D League. So two years ago, he was a first team all uh, Big Ten. And then there's Dev Marble. I think he got drafted by Denver and then was traded in the second round. And then 
Um, last like two years ago, Peter Jock, same thing. He yeah, tried, that's right. But but he chose not to get drafted too. So I don't know if they have the ability, knowing that they're not guaranteed money or a roster spot, the second round that they can choose. Their agent tells them, hey, they'd rather go out and try it on a team and not start in the D League. They want to try to make a major NBA roster. That's true. A lot of second round prospects probably would almost prefer to be a free agent. Yeah, to pick, pick a, your system. A system. But to, to your point, though, Iowa has had someone drafted a couple, a, a couple and they've right? won a football so, championship too since since 99 well, well yeah you, we co-share like i think we've gotten uh 2003 2004 with we, banks we were co-champs QB. yeah exactly we, we shared so, and that was before that everybody co-shared a championship exactly at some point. yeah we didn't have the, the, the big 10 championship so <laughs> but i don't we haven't won one outright i don't well yeah that's a great question last Michigan time state we lost, we lost last big time 10 iowa won an outright big 10 was that 86 with chuck Long? yeah it would have been I, I think so. 90 was a Rose Bowl year, but I don't think... It was out outright. Right, yeah, I don't think it was. I think we split that, too, when we played Washington. Good well, trivia. Like, well, here's the conference championship games, I guess, because now at least you would do win outright uh, titles at some point. Anyway, Hawk, that, I mean, it's... I don't know. It's just a frustrating point, I guess. It's been a tough 20 years. Is that what you're trying to bring out to us on, I, on Yeah. This? I don't even know what the, the full point of it was. It was just more like... It's this realization, and especially for guys our age that we're in our 40s and we still think about football still was – we were great just a couple years ago. Oh, wait, well, 20 years ago. Or basketball. God, I remember those four straight times that knee took us to the – yeah, that was a long time ago. Long time. Long time ago. And to think of the – I mean, we, we're comp, we feel very good as, as Husker fans. It's built into us. This is a scarlet-colored glasses part of it. We always believe we can do it. Every year, I know we think we can do it next year, but it is... We already you, proved it this year with our poll. <laughs> I mean, we've already got like 9, 10 wins on a poll. But when you put those... four-win season. But when you put those numbers together, that it's been that long since your two bell cow kind of programs have had that basic level of success, we've always talked about that. Like, how hard is it to get just a, a random NBA guy in there? My gosh, Vanderbilt, I looked it up, and they had like two first-rounders a couple years ago. It's like, you know, just by dumb luck, you're going to get one, right? Just by dumb nope. luck, you're going to win one NCAA tournament game. By dumb nope. luck, you're going to have a first-round football player in, in five or six years. And, and it hasn't happened. And that's just the reality. Now, that's because ab- Randy Gregory smoked weed. <laughs> the absolute credit, <laughs> and this is point. where this is where I throw the credit out to you, Redcasters, and all the Husker fans, is that through all that, I don't care. People will sit there and talk about sellouts and go, "Well, did we? Is our sellout streak legit or not?" We sold. We sold every ticket, whether people showed up and whether scanned tickets and all that that BS. We have continued to sell out football. We have sold out and built a new basketball arena despite all that, this is the absolute credit to Husker Nation. This is the reason why, I mean, we are the hungriest fan base by far for the major sports. Thank God for volleyball. We are the the hungriest fan base anywhere. Anywhere. Because we show up despite the stats we just showed you. It's going to be our reward year. This is going to be a good stretch here. Yeah, I we're, we're ecstatic. You talked about Barta at 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 Iowa. We're ecstatic right now with Moose. I don't care how many you know Washington State seats you know maybe you got. <laughs> I don't care about any of that. None of that stuff means anything to me. He won't have those problems. Here. Those aren't those aren't. I don't think they're problems to begin with, and he certainly won't have those problems here. Um, we've he got the biggest fish. <laughs> we finally have the right leadership in place, and and certainly at football, it's going to start with football here. We've got the right leadership in football. 
and and that will trickle through the that'll trickle through the program. Mm-hmm. John yeah, Cook absolutely. has made Quick that question. statement a number of times. He goes, that will, John Cook has said it trickles through the program. Lexi's Frost son. was the right guy. Lexi's son is a Frost recruit. <laughs> Think about that. That's right. That's right. Sean, as far as basketball goes, is Miles your guy? And like, what's what's your ceiling for you guys? Like, would you like to see a Sweet Sixteen in two to three years, or or, or where do you guys what what are you striving for? And is, is he the guy that can do it for you? I'll take this one. <laughs> Go, for it, Matt. Go for it, Mac. As a very very bystander kind of fan in basketball, um, this is our last year with Miles. I'm already I'm fed up with him. If we, if he doesn't take us to the dance this year, we need to move on. Um, it's been a series of poor roster management maneuvers and ability to put a team together. Like we talked about before, just getting one star on our team has been difficult. So, um, yeah, this is a put up or shut up year. He had a nice year this year, but it was kind of one of those years that when you when you sort of peel it back and like, well, what did we really win? Just just some games, and yeah, winning games are important. I don't want to get Dave and Hockey started on this, but <laughs> but there's winning games, and there's winning games, you know. And we that was kind of a very Bo Pelini esque kind of record. Like it looks good on paper until you start looking at who we beat. So I like because he showed up with a lot of excitement. Yeah, I like Miles. Like he was good. I, I really yeah. like Miles that he's a good face of the program. And I think I think the Big Ten network likes him. He's a he's a you know an affable guy, and then he goes out and he and Who's the coach he just hired? Uh, was it Gates, Armand, Dave? Do you know? Yeah, who he took from? Yeah, Florida, took from Florida, dude, right? Which is a great hire from Northwestern. He's done a decent job building staffs. He's he's recruited, I think, as well as anybody's recruited here. But Absolutely. we've also had some of the highest highs and some of the lowest lows in basketball history, at least over the last ten to twenty years. I mean, we've had the the teams that have won a lot of games, like last year. Mm-hmm. Although that didn't get us into the NCAA tournament, he had one of the best stretches in in 2014. But he also had three straight, you know, horrendous seasons. And you just can't, we can't have that kind of stuff. Is his staff turnover pretty typical of most major college basketball programs? I think at one position, it's been it's been a lot of turnover. But then Molinari and has been there for for quite a while and really yeah i think it's pretty typical, is it pretty typical? I, don't I don't i just wonder if it's about about what normal nothing is. outlandish okay. or anything I, you know i asked the question on twitter and, and actually kind of got beat up a little bit by some oh, whoops uh by a couple of fans <laughs> by by a couple of fans about um i was just like you know if we get copeland and um palmer back who miles had made that statement a couple of days ago that he thought they were probably more likely to come back than go pro I said, isn't I on Twitter? I go, isn't that mean? Doesn't that mean that we would be not just going to the NCAA tournament next year, but we need to win a game? Isn't that the expectation? Yes. And holy smokes, we got some responses. I was like, well, that you can't have that be the expectation. I'm like, well, if that can't be the expectation next year, when when can we ever have that expectation? This is the year. This is I think, the year. If I think every Power back, Five basketball team should should that should be your expectation get to the tournament and win some games like and i every four years i think every team should do it and if they're not doing it you should probably start moving on on coaches because it's that fluid and there's so much turnaround it's not like you're building up in red shirt and kids like yeah. you can either strike while it's hot or move on Pre-shawn and so on I, I feel like, yeah. i agree it doesn't take that long in basketball it, it happens, happens fast it happens you get those really you, fast yeah you get a couple kids you hit a home run with a couple of recruits bring them in and you go you go make a, a move with a point guard in the tournament, but we Iowa can't recruit point guards, so like it's a point guard game, and that's one position we can't recruit. So, yeah, anyway, I remember when you had Andre Woolridge; he was very <laughs> good. That, and who actually? Who was the other the, point guard from South Sioux City? Gessel, Gessel, Gaskell, yeah. 
Gazelle? Mike Gazelle. Yeah, Gazelle. Yeah, right. yeah, he's Lanolin, like yeah. sheep's wool? What? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I'm losing you guys yeah, fast. Yeah. I think it's a really, it's a great question, though. I think Miles has to win next year, especially if Palmer and Copeland are back. If he loses Palmer and Copeland, he's probably gone no matter what because, I mean, he has to make the tournament. Yeah. And I think our expectations should be that we're good enough to not just make the tournament, but... Uh, win a game so that means a, a seed that's not like a 10 or 11 we should be looking at maybe an eight seed giver and give maybe a, maybe a nice run right. in the big 10 tournament yep you know. and, and dave you and i had our yeah. arguments last season about the wins and everything but but we are definitely in the same boat about next season is that it can't be something where we are on the fence anyways i mean we have to have enough good wins it shouldn't be. we have to have a strong enough resume that that uh it, it shouldn't be something that's that we're biting our nails come come selection Sunday. Go win some games early, and then you know be competitive in the Big Ten. And you're going to make the tournament. Yep. Uh, bottom line. Yep. Could be worse. You could have given nine million dollar guarantee money to your basketball coach for winning three ten, three games in the Big Ten. <laughs> so it could always be worse. That's true. Did I mention Brands that uh, second sweetest deal in the state? <laughs> did I mention that the Redcast is trying to also not just get Ferenc's agent, but maybe uh, who's your basketball coach? Uh, the Fran McCaffrey. McCaffrey. We're trying Fran to get McCaffrey, his too. Yeah. So. Either no, one you would really work. need Gary Barta as yeah. an AD. That's what you really need. Ding, 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 we ding, could be ding. the first podcast to get an AD. I'm fine with that. All right. Uh, well, guys, uh, let's let's wrap this thing up. This has been an entertaining show. It's great to have uh, Iowa Sean here. Let's do some parting talk, uh, parting shots, and let uh, Sean take it first. You got anything, man? Yeah. So uh, appreciate you guys having me on, and I just want to give a shout out. We drove through for my wife's baby shower through Lincoln, and it was middle of January crazy snowstorm we ended up staying at the graduate downtown in lincoln and we went over to the boiler brewing and being a big craft beer guy i think it was some of the best beer i've ever had and that's coming from a guy that lives in denver full time so that's awesome man all right shout out to lincoln very cool all right mac what do you got um nothing too major but i would like to extend iowa sean uh invitation anytime he comes back through we'll go down to the, the boiler with you or maybe do a little tailgate or something like that maybe do a on location kind of red cast nice i'm gonna take you guys up on that right offer on. yep That's sweet all right honk finish us up strong God, i feel like this is a, I, I feel like this is kind of a downer i wanted to talk about how it's been a couple <laughs> rough weeks for, for nebraska with dennis claridge a couple of weeks ago and then travis hill and david hum it's just been kind of a couple of rough weeks and and we just kind of wanted to, to give our condolences out there to, to Husker Nation that, that uh, you know, hopefully that, that trend kind of, you know, stops and, and, and ends here pretty quick because we've had too many too many greats that have gone. But uh, we haven't done a show in a couple of weeks and just hadn't had a chance to kind of kind of give those condolences out there to uh, to some of the Husker greats. So go Big absolutely, Red. Absolutely, huh? Good point. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, God bless everyone out there with uh, their friends and family and Husker Nation. So, good stuff. All right, guys, let's call that a Go Big Red Cast. Miss you, Boomer. Have fun in Des Moines. Oh.